0: Welcome, everyone. I'm Sergeant Chelsea Baker.
1: I'm Sergeant Tim Andrews.
0: And we are kind of just going off of the last podcast. This is kind of a segment to um, what we were talking about before. So again, we have Lisa Mustard with the South Carolina um, National Guard Behavioral Health Department, as well as Eric Beasley, who is a marriage counselor. So I guess we'll just get started and get right back into what we were talking about. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, so one of the things that we were discussing were, was how depression can show up in male soldiers, post deployment, and we wanted to definitely touch on what that can look like for female soldiers. So it's it's a similar it's a similar thing. Um, behavior changes for sure that are um, outside of the normal of what that female soldier would be normally, you know, doing. That could be drinking more. That could be risky behaviors. You know, you mentioned in the last one, like driving aggressively. Like those things are still going to show up. Yes, possibly for females as well. The main difference. Is going to be how the female soldier is more than likely um, expressing her, her feelings. So you mentioned we're talking about anger, men showing anger, right. the Walmart, you know, pushing the cart <laughs> into Walmart, <Yeah. laughs> and you know, um, not really being society's n- the norm of seeing a guy crying in the magazine stand at Walmart, where it's like the opposite for women, right? It's okay for us to cry. It's okay for us to get emotional. You know, we're, that's kind of what we think of when, when women think of sadness and grief. And that's the same thing that the female soldiers are experiencing, but they're going to show it more so as sadness. Don't, don't get me wrong. Anger will definitely be there as well, but it's potentially going to be showing up more as mm-hmm. crying, um, emotional um, outbursts, um, things like that is, is kind of, is what I have witnessed and have experienced. Do you have anything to, to add yeah. to that?
2: No, I think it's that, uh, sometimes what we see too is a, uh, isolation mm-hmm. from close relationships. Yep. So they may pull back from families and, yep. and friends, and that can be difficult to see right after, you know, homecoming, mm-hmm. uh, because there hasn't, the re- the reconnection hasn't necessarily fully happened at that point. Yeah. Uh, and so they're just not reconnecting with people that they knew before in a way that's that's really meaningful for them. And so we'll need to keep a look, uh, an eye out for that. So if we have somebody come back and we reach out to them and want to do stuff with them, and you know they're not busy, but they just keep putting us off.
1: Right. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think that's 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 wise. Have you guys, being a female
0: and a soldier, <laughs> do you? Do you back? I'm like I feel like I'm complete opposite because I guess my experience is not just from deployment, but how I grew up. I internalize things I let it bottle up and then when it gets to the point of no return I just let it all come out at once or I might be the uh I cry behind closed doors kind of person like I don't always like sometimes when I'm in the heat of the moment I might show anger or whatever but if it's something that's really bothering me I don't I you could probably never tell that something was bothering me because I don't want people to like I I don't know how to explain it not feel bad for me but like I just don't wear my feelings on my sleeve, I guess. Yeah, and for a lot of
1: people, for a lot of women, it's normal, If especially if you grew up in a household. I'm not saying this is how you grew up. Yeah. But especially if you grew up in a household where, sh- where showing feelings was not okay or not allowed or not, you know, just not okay. Mm-hmm. So, and that can look different for everybody. So I, I can, I think all of us can relate to that on, on a level, you know. Yeah. Wanting to not show too much, don't want to show vulnerability, mm-hmm. don't want to show... Um, <clears throat> What we're really going through, but you know, I always go back to when we're able to be vulnerable with people that we trust. That's where the really healing can happen for a lot of a lot of people. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I think also for whether it's for a uh, uh, male soldier, female soldier, male spouse, female spouse, uh, taking the step from "this is how I feel" or "something's not right inside of me" to "I need to get help" and "I'm going to go call somebody." Mm-hmm right? And what I see is typically one of two things happen that are, that are, let's say, dysfunctional, right? Ideally, we see that, we go get help, you know, call the chaplain, call the uh, local counselor, uh, reach out for resources. Uh, when that doesn't happen, I typically see two patterns. So the first pattern is uh, an ultimatum from somebody, right? It might be somebody uh, in our family, might be our spouse, you know might be our partner, whatever that looks like. Uh, they come to us and say, I am not living like this anymore. So you either get help or get out. right? Uh, so we kind of see that ultimatum or the other thing is we just kind of ignore the problem and and then, you know, those people around us, they just sort of sitting there waiting for that time bomb to explode, right? You talked about bottling it all up. Mm-hmm. They see something's not right. They don't know what to call it. Or maybe they've come to us and tried to talk to us about it. Uh, and we just push them off. And, and so they just sort of sit there and wait for that, that time bomb to explode. Right. right? Yeah. And then I know we talked about uh, PTSD. Uh, and I would said, I'm going to get into that in the next myth, right? So, <laughs> so yeah, and I, I've been very uh, open uh, in the last part of my career about what I went through. So I came back and for me, uh, two events really pushed me into counseling. So I definitely fell into the, the ticking time bomb, uh, part of it. Uh, I remember I was, uh, driving, uh, on the way to work, uh, one morning and somebody was tailgating me and I was on a, uh, one lane or, you know, two lane road. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I, I slowed down, uh, and there was an opportunity to pass and they did not take it. And then I sped up, um, probably going, uh, I'm telling on myself, but like maybe 60 and a 45 <laughs> and not a school zone. Uh, and they, they uh, sped up too. And so we got to a four-way uh, stop sign. And um, back then uh, it would have been uh, Sergeant Beasley, I think, jumps out uh, of the car and I uh, uh, went back to have a discussion with them. Um, what they probably saw was this really angry soldier screaming, running out of a vehicle towards them. Uh, and they jumped out. Uh, they turned around and just fled. Uh, and uh, then I got to work, talked to my uh, peers at work uh, about this, you know, jerk that had done this to me. Uh, and they were like, you have a problem. You're the problem. You need to get help. <laughs> and I think, you know, when I saw it from that perspective, and thankfully my peers saw that, Right. Uh, And so then I started seeking some help for for anger at that point. Uh, The next big pivotal moment uh, was after the next deployment where I came back and was driving on I-20 just past uh, I think it was Monticello Road uh, and had a panic attack. Mm. So I'm driving down the road, panic attack. And and uh, I'm uh, I had a brand new job at that point. I was back. Uh, and what that looked like for me uh, was that classic like tightness in my chest, felt like I was out having a heart attack, and then lost all control of my emotions. I started just sobbing, crying, tears coming out, barely got to the side of the road, and I'm sitting there going, how can a commander in the National Guard break out into tears and just start sobbing? That's not right. Uh, and then the horror of it, what happens if this happened, because I can't control it, in front of my soldiers. Right. Right. Now that is not inspiring confidence. Right. To see, to see the commander break down and cry in front of everybody. Uh, that scared me so bad uh, that on the spot on the side of the road, I called the counselor and said, I need help. Can you see me? And amazingly enough, they answered their phone and they said, come on over which Lisa knows never happens never in a counselor. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that was really an amazing event for me. Uh, but saw the counselor, and they immediately, as soon as I walked in, like five minutes in, they're like, you have PTSD. Right. It's so obvious, you know. And I'm, like, shaking, going, I don't think I have it. No, huh? everything's fine, yeah. <laughs> they're like, no, you have it. We need to talk. Yeah, uh, so
1: can I just say, because I know that there are some current and retired National Guard service members who are hearing this and are listening and I just wanna say, I know that some of y'all out there are going through this and you're not at a place where you're ready to call a counselor, but listen to Eric and his story and there's hope. And yeah. I say this because I every day, I, not every day, but you know, a good amount of time, this is what I hear. Yeah. I'm not ready to go. This is normal. I'm like, no, and I, I can only do so much. You know, I right. can only be that person that you confide in that one time who says, yes, this is something you need to go to the VA, we need to get you to the vet center, let's make a plan, and then they disappear. Yeah. So, you're not alone. Like,
2: Absolutely so not.
1: I have to put that plug in there because I know that some of them are probably listening and they know who they are. That's right.
2: <laughs> and, and also, I know that the uh, resistance I see the most is I don't want anybody else to know because mm-hmm. I don't know what their reaction is going to be, right? right? And so...
1: Uh, I should be over this by now. Right. Yeah. Oh
2: yeah. It's been two years. I should be fine.
1: Oh no. 10 years. 10 years.
2: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Even longer. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know for me the the moment of kind of, uh, being more honest in a public way about this, uh, was in seeing a psychiatrist at Fort Jackson who asked me to actually write up a one page kind of how I went through therapy at the very end, you know, what my experience was like. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then they actually passed it out at Fort Jackson. So with my name on it, So I kind of just came out publicly with that in a very public way at Fort Jackson, uh, not in the guard, right? (laughs) (laughs) although I'm sure some guard people found out Um, because I was concerned like everybody else. What I found, though, was that um, all the way up and down the chain of command, nothing but support.
1: Right. Of course.
2: And I feel like that, at least in my personal experience, in no way affected, you know, career decisions, opportunities, anything like that. You know, I felt like everybody was supportive. Um, I didn't walk around talking about it 24-7. Right, right.
0: Uh,
2: but, you know, key people knew and understood what was going on uh, and supported me through that. Right. So I think that, uh, and I've always said this before, you know, I am biased 100% uh, towards the National Guard because I think we're more of a family than other organizations. Mm-hmm. And And I think that family mentality that we have in the Guard that's so valuable is what helped me get through that. Yeah. yeah. So uh, same thing, if, if you're not getting help or you any of this you identify with, uh, definitely reach out and get help because it will make a huge quality of life difference.
1: And, right. I, and I think it's important to say that people always think, well, it's going to hurt my career, it's going to hurt my career. No, oh. asking for help never hurts your career. What hurts your career is if you don't get the help and your, you, your behaviors become more and more risky or you are using drugs and alcohol, if you don't get that help, And then it backfires on you. That's when your career is in jeopardy. So I know that sounds kind of like doesn't make sense, but asking for help is the best thing you can do.
2: Yeah, because mental health um, uh, uh, disorders or mental health concerns affect your performance. Whether you realize it or not, it affects your performance. And if you don't get help, it does affect your career.
1: Right, and recovery is so possible. Like it is so possible. And we put labels on things, and we diagnose. Yes, sometimes we have to do that, but you know, that's that's to give it a name and to understand the symptoms. That doesn't mean that you're going to have it for the rest of your life. It just means right. right now is what you're going through, and that label does not define you. Only, I mean, if you let it define you, for sure. Right. Um, but it's, I mean, gosh. Yeah. From commander to counselor, I like I keep yeah. saying, Let's <laughs> look at him. You know, yeah,
2: absolutely, and you know that's uh, uh and, you know, I'm definitely not alone in that because there's many other people that have taken that same path. Uh, but if you look at the prevalence rate of different things, I know one that I looked up recently that shocked me was one out of nine men will be diagnosed with major depressive disorder in their lifetime. One out of nine, that's a lot. Yeah, you know, and you, know, you get a, a unit of twenty six you know, soldiers are together, and you look around and say, wow, that's going to be quite a bet, you right. know, and that's that's okay. It's not – it doesn't define our whole life. It's just that period in our life.
1: Yeah. yeah. Can I ask, do you feel like you specialize in private practice with uh, military?
2: Yes, yeah. Okay. Uh, military, uh, primarily uh, individual work and couples work.
1: Okay.
2: Uh, that's the main focus of the
1: practice. And do you take TRICARE?
2: I am <laughs> a certified TRICARE provider, <laughs> yes. So very important, yeah.
1: So important. Uh,
2: now, how many deployments have you been on, Eric? Okay, so I've been on on two uh, deployments that are what we call the typical deployments. Um, uh, both of them to Iraq. Uh, both of them with the same unit, 251st RAOC. Um And uh, I did go on another deployment. It was a different type of deployment back then because I'm old and <laughs> I've been around a while. Uh, back during the... Uh, the drug wars that we had, uh, in the early, nineties, uh, I did a deployment to Central and South America down there with that. So it was a different animal right. back mm-hmm. then.
1: Yeah. Okay. So coming back from
2: that third deployment, did you feel that you improved from your, uh, last two deployments or like, okay, I, I'm seeing the same footsteps that I walked through and I'm like, I'm making, uh, a better path. I'm, I'm going in a better direction than I, than I went in the past. Did, did you feel like you went in a better direction coming back from, from that, deployment? Yeah, I, I don't think, uh, I think I thought I was going to do much better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I knew what I felt was I knew what to avoid. I knew what not to do. Uh, and so things in the very beginning that may have caused problems uh, between my wife and I or with my family or with my job, I was like, I'm definitely not doing that this time, right? I'm going to avoid that kind of stuff. Uh, I know one of the things that, um, uh, you know, planning a, a vacation immediately after, after we come back, uh, that, that was difficult because I was still mission-oriented. And so, you know, sitting on a beach for hours, <laughs> I couldn't do it. Yeah. I just couldn't do it, things like that. Um, yeah, but I think I just tried to avoid the pitfalls, and I didn't really try to do anything else. And, and that's um, – going back to the myths that we were talking about earlier, uh, that is the next one is that uh, couples um, – the myth is that couples uh, and soldiers believe that we need to keep the conversation light and airy and let's not talk about anything that might upset anybody and, and all of that as a, as a means to get along, right? Let's make everything smooth and, you know, let's just sort of uh, whitewash everything so that, you know, everything's going to be okay and down the road later on we'll, we'll deal with the real issues, right? uh in fact the truth is we need to talk about those kind of things right if you have questions about uh uh either relationships or career or those kind of things uh, as they come up you need to talk about them right if there's distress in your relationships if you're having problems you, you know we need to talk to those people whether it's our spouse whether it's our siblings our extended family you know we need to get those out because those only build mm-hmm. right over time uh, and, and we have expectations on how we think everybody else should act and, and how we should act too. Uh, I, I heard a good quote, and I wished I could remember who said it. Uh, so we might have to go back later on and figure that out. <laughs>
1: uh,
2: somebody gets credit, I just don't know who, uh, which is that uh, expectations are premeditated resentments. Yep. Yeah. And, and we have all these expectations. And, and so in reality, what we need to do is as these questions come up, Right. As we have disagreements with our spouse uh, or someone else in our life after homecoming, uh, don't whitewash them. You know, take the take the time to talk about them. Right. In a positive way. Uh, If you're a spouse talking to the service member, you know, don't be afraid to bring things up. Right. As long as we're doing it in a non confrontational way, you know, and also uh, don't label. So we talked about labeling and kind of why we diagnose. Mm -hmm. uh, But that's something that a clinician does. Right. We don't need to do that in our own relationships. Uh, so if, if you, know, you see signs of PTSD in, in a friend or in a uh, spouse or, or family member, we don't want to go to them and say, dude, you've got PTSD. You right. need to get help. Because now we've labeled them, and they're going to feel like they're less. What we want to do is see, hey, you seem a little anxious. You know, have you thought about talking to somebody about that mm-hmm. or something along those lines? Instead, and address the symptoms, mm-hmm. not what we think the diagnosis is. Um, in marriage counseling, often the, what I hear are the two most popular things in marriage counseling. Um, my husband's a narcissist, right? <laughs> and my wife is bipolar, yes. right? Yeah. Those are the two things. They come in. I do an individual session when I start with each of them. And the wife says, I don't, I don't want to like color what you think, but my husband's a narcissist. You need to know. And then the husband comes in and said, you would not believe it. She's like a <laughs> classic bipolar I googled it on WebMD. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, certified. Right there.
1: Yeah. Right there. And, and so what does that usually mean though? Like yeah. what's the underlying issue there? I mean, just speaking generally, is there's yeah. a hurt in the family that hasn't been resolved. Right. There's issues between them that they're not they're not resolving. They're not able to resolve on their own and so they they need the support of a professional. Yes. It doesn't mean that there's no hope. It just means, you know. Yeah,
2: they need help with a professional. What happens is we bring these things up Right. So, uh, I know my wife said, you need help. I think you have PTSD was telling me those things. Why is she doing that? She's doing that because she cares about me and she wants me to get help. Mm-hmm. Right. What I see is someone who's labeling me and putting me down and telling me I'm not good
1: enough. Right.
2: So because I have, uh, uh, you know, I don't feel that way. Uh, what am I going to do? I'm not going to agree with her. I'm going to prove she's wrong. Right. And I always say, is, as men, we had this ability to be a 13-year-old boy at moment's notice, right, and throw a temper tantrum. And so I was that 13-year-old boy. I was like, no, I don't. And she's like, you, you literally have this startle reflex, and you can't sit with your back here. And I said, well, I'm just trying to keep you safe, you know? Mm-hmm. You want somebody to hurt you and break in the house? And, right. <laughs> you know? And so we start defending. So when we avoid those labels, then we can just avoid all, all of that mess and just talk about the symptoms. Um all right. So the last myth, myth number five. Uh so this is the myth is reintegration gets easier after every deployment.
0: Yeah, you know? I, don't, I don't believe that one at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. And and Sarn Andrews, you even talked about that a little bit. Yeah. Does it get easier, right? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so um, I came back from the next one thinking I know how to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I remember talking to my wife and we're like, you know, is, I, we've already been through Yellow Ribbon. We checked that block last deployment. We don't even have to go. We don't have you to know. go. Ugh. I know. We don't need to go. We're good. We already know everything we need to know. Walk
0: in, check mark. Yeah.
2: yeah. Good to go. Yeah. You, lead yeah, it. Yeah. you could
1: actually get up there and lead it, probably. <laughs> yeah.
2: I don't care if you go to family support group meetings. It doesn't matter. We know everything, yeah. right? That's right. for the new people. Mm -hmm. right yeah uh and of course nothing could be further from the truth every deployment's unique right every time we deploy it's with a different set of people it's a different circumstance all of that it has unique challenges uh and so all all I did was uh become more unprepared for going coming back the next time right uh and so uh and that deployment kind of like what you were saying Sergeant Baker with with the active duty coming back uh the second time we transitioned um very fast through the demo site, mm-hmm. very fast. And so, uh, I think it was, I don't know exactly, but I want to say from the time we left country to the time we were home was like five days. It was like insanely fast. Uh, and, and so, you know, one minute I'm wearing body armor and the mm-hmm. next minute I'm, you know, playing in the pool with my kids. Right. And, and that was, that was difficult. And, and I thought I knew everything, so I'm good.
0: Yeah. Well, and I don't think it, it, like all those are definitely factors in that, but also when you deploy for a second, third, fourth time, you're at a different stage in your life. You're a little bit older. You've experienced different things or your career might've changed. You might've went back to school. Like there, you might've had a kid, got married. So things are different than like, if I were to deploy again, it would be totally different than six years ago when I first deployed. And I was 21, 22. Like I'm, I'm a lot older now. I've done a lot of things. Like I've I'm starting a career and everything. So, and I'm in my military career for almost nine years now. So, I mean, like things are different than, then. So you have to see it differently, I guess. And you still need all those tools. Like you have them, but things have changed with those as well. So. Right. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And, and it is unique. You are different, um, different person, different career. Mm -hmm. Uh, You mentioned kids. Our kids are different. Yeah. Uh, One of the hardest things for me, for uh, for the deployments is I went to a deployment, came back, went to, uh, went through uh, OCS um, and OBC accelerated and then immediately within a few months redeployed. Uh, And my, my youngest daughter was born six weeks before my first deployment. Um, and I was essentially gone roughly 48 out of 60 months of her life in the first five years. So when I came back the second time, um, if I tried to force her to sit on my lap, she would cry. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like that weird uncle that just shows up on the <laughs> holidays, right? Yeah. Like C- cousin, or what is it? Cousin Eddie off a of vacation or something, right? I just showed up now and then, you know, mm-hmm. disrupted everything and then left. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was really, that was much different on the second deployment because she didn't know me, didn't mm-hmm. trust me you know, and it took a long time to, to earn that trust.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. With all of that. Um, I did want to bring up one other thing though. So we're talking about reintegration, Mm -hmm. but one of the things we do in the military, um, uh, besides deploy, right. Is some of the extended schools that we go to. So when we leave for a school for three, six, nine months at a time, which happens all the time, uh, we go through a lot of these same steps, you know, even stateside where we can video chat and possibly even fly back now and then, but we never get back into that rhythm with our family until the school's over. So even if we're not talking deployments, I think it's wise to look at this stuff and and be aware of it so we can make sure that, that we're in the healthiest place possible through all of this.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree to that because not too long ago, I was in Maryland for four months reclassing. And I mean, I wasn't f- far from home, but I wasn't close enough to be able to go on the weekends and stuff. And then you meet new people, you make new friends, you have new experiences, you're on a schedule just like when you're deployed and then when it's done and over with it's like now what do I do with myself? Like I've been doing this for four months straight and then you go home and it's the same thing. You got to start all over again and make sure you take time to yourself and all that kind of stuff. So it applies to everything I feel like. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, again, I'm glad yeah. that you guys were able to come and talk. I know that I say this every <laughs> single time, but I'm sure we will see you again. <laughs> yeah. um, and I'll make sure that we link all the previous videos as well as your contact information down in the comments below. Um, and you guys are always welcome to come back and see us anytime you want. Thank you you thank, thank you, you very much us. thanks um, if you like this video make sure you give it a big thumbs up and if you haven't subscribed to our channel make sure you hit that subscribe button and we will catch you guys in the next episode